Hi and welcome to Real Clear Betting Talks Real Clear Betting, a podcast that talks about kink and sober life and everything in between. This is season six. Uh, as you can see, the format is slightly different. I've gone away from Instagram Live mainly because, well, as everyone knows on the fetish scene, Instagram doesn't like fetish people, so they keep blocking us. So this is a safer bet for me. Also, like slightly less stressful than doing it live. Um, as you can see, the setup is slightly different, different background. It is because um, it's not done on Zoom, it's not done on Instagram Live, and I actually have my guest here in person. And it's the current winner of International Mr. Lever 2023, Marcus. Hi, welcome. Hi. Hi, Ralph. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me into your place. Yeah, my small place. Yes. Um, well, it's very <laughs> cozy. It's, yes. It is cozy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've crammed a lot of stuff in here and make it work. It's um, a lot of a lot of fun stuff. I'm, like, enjoying taking it all in. Yeah, you just arrived this morning from a weekend in Hamburg? Yeah, I spent the weekend uh, Gay Pride in Hamburg, and it was also their motorcycle club, their 50th anniversary. So um, it's the oldest motorcycle club, I believe, in Germany is what they say. So, oh, yeah, very nice. great community in Hamburg. Thank you so much for being so kind to me and welcoming yeah he was literally on a flight this morning at five or five six in the morning yeah yes let's yeah. just say six i allowed him to have a nap when he arrived i think that was the best thing it's very do. kind yeah of yeah, you yeah. Too. yeah 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 i allowed U- it. europeans are so so welcoming <laughs> and kind i appreciate it yeah, absolutely absolutely so everyone knows the format this is season six so i start with four standard questions and then we see where the conversation goes you up for that? Yeah, let's fantastic. go. Fantastic. Uh, what do you uh, what do you prefer? I call you names, pronouns, and title. Uh, Marcus and um, pronouns he him, and uh, title. Well, we got the Mister International Mister Leather there. Yeah. Mister International Mister Leather. Everyone <laughs> wants to put the Mister in the front, and yeah, yeah, because our titles over here all have Mister in the front, so right. us saying International feels very odd to us. At this point, everybody says Mister IML, so you might as well Mister IML. Just I'll, I'll call me Mister like IML. The rest of the episode. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm a Mexican Texan who's ready for some sexin. Um, anyway, that was my <laughs> that was my line from uh, that I use for Pex and personality. At, oh, uh, do you know what I use for mine? No, I don't. It's like, uh, I believe in world peace and free fisting. Ah, that's my life. Okay, I used yeah. that the whole year. Anyway, Good. back to you. I think, uh, I think we need to raise that up again. Oh, you know? absolutely. absolutely. Bring it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need some world <laughs> peace and more fisting. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so I'm from Texas. I've lived in Los Angeles since I was 21, and I'm 39 now. So uh, I moved there when I was 21. I started working at the Eagle LA when I was 21. And so I've been there for 18 years working at the Eagle. Um, it's been incredibly good to me. Um, the Charlie and Hunter and Vince, who I work for, um, they are amazing uh, family that uh, we have created there at the bar. Um, what else? That's all for at the moment. I'm sure I'll get into oh, more Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just a small little introduction yeah. to yourself. Yeah. Completely clear-headed, sober, or social drinker? Um, completely clear-headed, yeah. yeah. Sober, um, 12 years. My sobriety date is February 7th, 2011. 
and um, that's uh, sober from, you know, I don't do poppers, I don't smoke weed, I, uh, I smoke cigars, and I drink caffeine, so that's sort of the extent, yeah. Well, I do Red Bull and the occasional Viagra, so that, that is the extent I go to as well. I want to learn how to smoke cigars, but I don't like the smell, which is my problem. Yeah, um, well... You're just going to have to keep practicing. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> yes. do it in well-ventilated spaces. You know, that might, that that's might, my that recommendation. Might help, yeah, yeah. Um, what is clear play to you and why is it important? Uh, this question. Um, I'm remembering all the, the questions are coming back to me as I've watched some it's of It's all the same questions every yeah. episode, yeah. Um, well, you know, everything is clear play to me because my whole life is just uh, I'm sober all the time. So um, I love the idea of play in many different, in many different uh, facets. Um, we talk about play when we have sex with each other and, you know, uh, or maybe do a scene or participate in whatever our kink is. But um, I'm also really concerned with uh, the element of play as, uh, as important to adults. Um, yeah, I think we have a society that, like, doesn't allow adults or particularly men to um, to be playful and um, I I think that's really important I think we access play in our kink exploration particularly one like super easy example is the puppy scene mm. like the puppies you know that's all about play like you have I, I would imagine I haven't tried so far one must really have to get into this sort of imaginary, sort of land uh, headspace in order to really take themselves there to to be a dog and i think that's really therapeutic um so clear play um yeah everything that i do is always clear clear headed i always have to be aware of aware of my uh my reactions to things my emotions my uh thoughts and um, it's what it's what works best for me, um, and it has been the key for me to be able to understand the things that are that I'm most authentically drawn to. Um, so it's really it's really everything to me. It's not just my play. It's what's the question? Say the question again. What is clear play, and why is it important? Uh, yeah. Well, I think I've answered both. Of those oh, questions. absolutely! Yeah. It's it's. I think especially as sober people, clear play is so important. You kind of have to keep yourself safe, your sobriety safe. Um, but well done on twelve years. That is amazing. Um, what what brought you to the point? Was like, okay, I need to stop. Okay. On the um, drinking. Yeah. So. If was, I may ask. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, I was in a relationship with somebody for about three years and, um, it was like 22 to 25. The guy was like 20 years older than me. And when we broke up, I was so heartbroken that, um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get over my heartache without getting sober. So, um, I went to a few, uh, 12 step program meetings and I wasn't really ready to join. Mm. Um, but, um, I was able to stay not drinking for almost a year, uh, on my own. And actually that's all, also not true. There was a, a, a friend who worked with me at the bar and he 
had a bad New Year's Eve and I had a bad New Year's Eve and we both decided that we needed to stop drinking. Yeah. And so we both stopped drinking together um, for almost a whole year. Yeah. And then I came to London and um, I was on a vacation here and I was six days short of not drinking for a full year. And I decided that I was going to only drink internationally. So because if it's not in the country, it doesn't count. Well, also, <laughs> I sort of like I sort of thought I was just it's too basic to like drink at home with, in the States with everybody else, like to party the way everybody else does. But somehow it's different, like drinking with people internationally. Anyway, yeah. it's ridiculous things that people that people um, addicts and alcoholics come up with to rationalize um, the behavior. Um, but uh, yeah, so I work at a bar. And so the next day when I came back from London, I, uh, I drank again uh, because um, the craving had kicked in. Yeah. And that's how it works for me. Um, if I stay stopped, then I don't, I don't have to think about whether I'm going to drink or not. But if I start drinking again, I will always be thinking whether I took the, take the drink, choose to take the drink or not, I will always be thinking about that, yeah. which means... Uh, if I'm thinking about that, then I'm not present. I am, um, you know, I'm in my head worrying about whether or not to take a drink because I know where it always goes. It always goes to the same place. So, so how did you find? I, I know you work uh, at the Eagle in where is in, in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you find that to do? Well, you're 12 years sober, so I'm assuming you can do that. So that's perfectly fine. But how did you find that in early sobriety to work in a bar when you're trying not to drink? You know, uh, particularly it was really hard at, at the, that first year when um, when it was just me and the one friend who, but he also worked at the bar. Like yeah. my sobriety, I have never done it alone. Um, sober community is absolutely essential mm. for me to maintain my sobriety. Um, engaging with my sober community um, on a regular basis is, is essential. Yeah. And um, that's that's how i that's how i've been able to maintain that uh, by staying very close to other people who who understand that um sobriety is the best way for them and um it's the best way for me so we sort of like um support each other through that it's it's yeah i, I definitely know it from myself if i go out somewhere if i have someone i can check in with it's like okay i'm struggling a little bit it's like just grab someone and kind of go okay and then just get the thoughts out of my head so you having someone behind the bar yeah. who was going through the same thing would make life a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the only way that I managed to get any sort of sobriety yeah. within that first year because, you know, the two of us were doing it together. Um, but it was hard. It was even harder for me during that year because he was doing other things. He was doing other party drugs and and I was diving into my ultra marathon um, uh, hobby my ultra marathon hobby i used to uh run like 50 milers my longest race was 63 miles which i know you guys do as a kilometers here no 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 it's miles here as well <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. i do kilometers because i'm from the mainlands of yeah. europe but uh yeah we do miles here as well oh okay i didn't realize that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay um but that's crazy i i always kind of look at running and it's like oh, i only run if i'm being chased yeah yeah, well, it's, you know, it makes sense, though. You know, it's like, I'm always like, more is better, more is better. So more miles. 
Um, so I dived in, which is a really wonderful sport for somebody who is uh, kind of an isolator and a loner because I'm afraid of people. Like that's, you know, old stuff from yeah from my childhood growing up in Texas and conservative, small town Texas and uh, conservative, uh, sort of religious um, place. Yeah. yeah. So... 12 years sobriety, working in a bar, and you have your friends to support there. Um, so over the years, what have you kind of learned along the way? What works for you? What doesn't work for you? What works for me and doesn't work for me? Well, let's see. Oh, gosh, 12 years has been a, a, a while. So yeah. what has worked at certain times has shifted. Yeah. Um, one of the first things that I picked up was a book that I now describe as being my favorite book. Yeah. Um, I picked up The Artist's Way. Have you ever heard of this book? No, I haven't. So it's like a creativity workbook to help you like unlock your creativity, maybe if it's lost or something. And I always thought of myself as an artist. And um, my dream to since I was a child was to be a pop star, um, which I didn't have that language necessarily when I was a child. I was just like, I want to be Britney Spears. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? Exactly. I want to be I'm Kylie, like, but uh. okay. Okay, well you understand. <laughs> I do. Perfect. But I actually put it on my knuckles. Pop star. Ah. Uh -huh. Pop star. Yeah. Very um, nice. Yeah. So that was my dream when I was a child. So I've always been um, like very much uh, like I felt like it's my destiny to be an artist and to be to be creative. And I thought it was to be a performer. Um, so I've sang a little bit. I've danced a little bit. And what else have I done? Oh, I did drag. So speaking of the things that like um, kind of like side things that were an authentic um, pursuit of my interest and um, I guess, I don't know, soul cravings. Um, so when I first got sober, it was I started painting my nails all the time, all different colors. Now everybody, now all boys do it. Yeah. But. In 2011, not as many boys were painting their nails. I was like fluorescent, like orange, green, like diff you know, all different colors, like fluorescent Easter eggs. Um, so uh, at first, it was a lot of different creative, creative things. And I also started watching RuPaul's Drag Race at that time. And I got really into drag and makeup. And so um, I went to a... I went to a makeup school and I learned, I was like, I'm going to be a makeup artist. That that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm not supposed to be in front of the camera necessarily. I'm supposed to be like making people up. Um, so I did makeup and I did a little drag and I pursued that for like eight or nine years. Oh, wow. Um, so what was the question again? No, it was just like, what's worked, what's not worked uh, of, of your sobriety journey. It's like, it, it's, when you're talking about all the creativity and so on, it, it's, it, it rings so true with me because as soon as I wasn't necessarily sober when I started having my creativity again, but, but as I, we've talked about, I sing with the London Game Men's Chorus. I do creative writing. I do video editing. I do this. I think a lot of people who have addiction issues are quite creative people mm -hmm. because our brains are kind of constantly busy and we don't quite know what to do with all that. And if we, unless we have something, an outlet where we can put it into, we kind of fall into either drinking or drug taking. And it, it's 
repeats that story repeats so many times when I've talked to other people and it, a lot of recovering addicts are creative people so yeah. it doesn't surprise me yeah um, I mean actually I, I really think that I love this idea of creativity being for absolutely everybody it's oh absolutely for, it's for every human being and every human being regardless of a lot of people relate the word creativity to making art and mm. And it's not just um, making art because people can use their creativity to solve a math problem or use their creativity to solve a plumbing problem. And so um, I just think that um, it's like a muscle that, that you have to sort of like s stretch. So in regard yeah. to things that work, stretching that creative muscle and being able to tune in to what create, what do I want to stretch creatively? Like, um there there was i did gayman's chorus also yeah so i stretched that creative muscle by you know singing and i stretched the creative muscle by doing makeup and um i just follow the flow of whatever whatever else there is to explore actually yeah yeah it's it's um when you become sober and you kind of get back to i think for a lot of people, especially if you're in active addiction, a lot of your creativity goes away. I've met friends who are amazing artists when it comes to drawing or other creative stuff, but it just doesn't happen when you're when you're in active addiction. It kind of goes on the back burner because it's not important. Yeah. Um, so it's it's when you come out of it and you realize, oh, there's this whole world of things I can do without all this mess over here. It's it's so important to get in contact with that again. Um, so let me just have a quick look at your text here. So you're planning on going back to UCLA at the moment? Oh, yeah. Well, I shouldn't say going back to, but going you, back to school. Going back to school. Yeah. Um, so I graduated high school. I went to a university in Lubbock, Texas for two semesters. And really, it was so important for me to get out of like small town conservative Texas. And Lubbock was exactly like my hometown of Midland, Texas, which is West Texas. And I always wanted to live in a big city. And my first big city was living in Austin, Texas. And um, what, what are we talking about again? I forget. No, it's it's uh, <laughs> education. Um, education. All right. Of okay. course, now you're a title holder. A lot of time goes on that. You have to travel everywhere. Yeah. Um, and you talk about UCLA as one of the things you're doing at the moment. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. So going back to school. So basically, I forgot the question. As I was <laughs> That's fine. Um, yeah. Um, it was really important for me to get myself to Los Angeles, to a big city, and find that the community that I wanted. Um, and then but in order to do that, I had to support myself. And so I had to work a lot. And then I was an active alcoholic as well. So it's like there was no time to study. And studying is really hard for me. Yeah. I was a straight A student when I was in school. Um, but like it's like reading doesn't really come easily to me. And so um, it's I'm getting better now in adulthood. But um, back then I didn't have the uh, the patience or the... Uh, I didn't have the time at all, actually. Um, so I went back to school mostly in 2020 because yeah. I went to Spain um, to fuck Spanish guys, really. As you do. 
as you do. There's plenty of them. <laughs> yeah, that was you know that was the goal. I'm like, I'm going to Spain because Spanish guys are hot, and um, I will agree. <laughs> in 2019, I went on this trip to Spain for my birthday in December. I spent a week there, and I uh, all I did was go to CrossFit, fuck Spanish guys. That's it. Or they weren't all Spanish. I just they were in Madrid. They just... tourists as well. <laughs> tourists, yeah. People... One of them was Argentinian. Uh, anyway, um... <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of like when we go on holiday, it is because of like as kinksters, we like holidays is a little bit driven on the sex bit. I mean, what's Which is not fine. driven on sex? Like underneath, unless you're it, going yeah. like as a couple, like a straight couple, where it's like, oh, we're here to lie by the pool and get drunk. It's like. No, no, we're getting, we're going to fuck. That's why we're going. Right. Yeah. Well, when I was, anyway, so when I was in Spain, um, I remembered, um, or sort of my, my, my interest in learning Spanish, it was reignited um, because uh, my parents didn't teach me Spanish growing up. Um, I think because of the history, they were, they were punished for speaking Spanish when they were like in grade school. Mm-hmm. And um, so they, uh, it was just became normal for them to just speak in English all the time. Yeah. And then so when they raised me and my brother, um, they didn't teach us Spanish. And uh, I always wanted to learn Spanish. My, my grandmother on my dad's side only speaks Spanish. So this means I've never had a real conversation with her. And now she... Only through your parents. Where no. they would translate for you? Well, I mean, I mean, I'm the, not much conversation at all. It's, it's okay. just like very like subtle. Like, um, are you hungry? Yes, I would like some food. Like, you know, the extent of my Spanish is "mi amo Valf. That's that's it. Oh, <laughs> and I had Spanish in school. Uh, uh, I had like two years of Spanish, but I, I hated the teacher, so I didn't pay attention. So I flunked it. Yeah, yeah. Well, my Spanish is not much more than yours, so. <laughs> don't feel bad. <laughs> do you, do you um, correct me if I'm being presumptuous or um, so when you meet other people who are either half Mexican or um, Latino backgrounds, do they expect you to speak Spanish? Oh, yeah, that's exactly how it is, actually. Um, I'm I, I think I very obviously look Latino um, and in Los Angeles, it's such a like international city. Sometimes yeah. Middle Eastern people will will think that I'm Middle Eastern, um, which is, which I, you know, I see it, you know, I, look, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a beard, you know, <laughs> that's usually the <laughs> I thing, a beard, a beard the and beard. tan skin. Um, but, um, but yeah, people definitely have always um, looked at me and maybe particularly Latino people expect me to speak Spanish yeah. and they like to shame me for not speaking Spanish. And, um, and I, and, you know, when I went back to school to learn uh, Spanish in 2020, immediately f- coming back from Spain. Yeah. Um, I also signed up for a Latin civilization history class. And um, during that time, I became awakened to how, how much I internalized that, that like, that judgment, um, and how it how it affected me on a lot of other different levels. Um, and so it was a really, really powerful thing me sort of starting to try to learn Spanish again and then learning about uh, Latin civilization history as an adult and not you know not not in grade school not in like going to grade school in Texas it's like they they give you a certain part of history but they don't really go into other parts of history and so 
um it's like i only got one side of the story you know and um so and what was interesting was that was in 2020 so all around the time the time when the world was uh, an outbreak of racial injustice all over um here i was taking this latin civilization class and my mind was just really opening up to you know how much um the sort of the system has sort of seeped into me and it, it's 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 really intense like the i've always had a problem it's, this is about sobriety so i've always had this mm. really intense problem with self-loathing and self-hatred yeah and um that's been how that's been how i process all the the pain of um that i think i was trying to cover up with drinking uh trying to soothe you know um rather than wanting to lash out and hit or hurt anybody else or um i i want to hurt myself yeah and so and not everybody's like that but of course many people are like that um but it started to make so much more sense that why I wanted to lash out towards myself uh, or hurt myself um, when I had this sort of like ingrained sort of, um, I don't know, um, lack of acceptance, uh, disdain. I'm not sure which word I want to use um, for my own culture. Yeah. Um, because I thought, I thought that I couldn't claim that I was Mexican because one, I can't speak Spanish. And two, my, my family's been in Texas for many generations. Yeah. Which is, was really frustrating because when many Latino people in my area where I'm from, they're like, well, where in, where in Mexico is your fa family from? And I'm like, well, we're from Texas. But, you know, the simple answer that I learned um, in that Latin civilization class is, well, you know, Texas was Mexico. It was, it was Mexico before it was the United States. And because of the history, uh, I, am, I, I ended up being American, mm. but, you know. But after that class, I started calling myself, you know, Mexican as well, um, because that is my heritage. And whether I can, whether I speak Spanish or not, does not mean that I can't claim my heritage. No, so. uh, I, th I think also, I, I know from myself is like I think I've become more Danish after I've moved here. So now I'm interested in Nordic mythology, or history, uh, Vikings, all that. Um, so it, I, it's curious to see where you where one's ancestors come from and, and kind of learn some of the stuff but it where where do you think so as as a like let, let's dive into like childhood has that so growing up in texas uh mexican-american also gay how was that? You talked about it was like it's conservative. We we see the news over here, and America is crazy at the moment when it comes to religion and politics and so on. Um, not that it hasn't always been like that, but yeah. it seems to have culminated. How did you find it growing up in Texas? Um, well, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable to necessarily be who I who I was. You know. Um, it's tough like being a little boy like like very little like first grade and um understanding on some level that like i gotta protect myself mm. i can't just play with the toys that i want to play with and i can't just um 
dress up like a, a cheerleader with a wig on, which I had no, no access to wigs. I had t-shirts. But I, would... <laughs> I think we all, I think I have pictures of that. Yeah. We all Myself. do it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all do that, you know, um, uh, t-shirts were my wigs. Um, you know, knowing that like, I just want to play in this manner, but that also knowing that like, that I shouldn't want that. It is, it's like, it's taking me a lifetime to just, and, and actually it's coming up right now as we speak, like, because we're recording something and I, I know that we're doing an interview and people are going to watch or whatever, this thing comes on where I'm in protective mode. Mm. And, um, and then, you know, it's fine that it's taken, a, it's going to take a lifetime to, to learn how to shed all of that and to, to just really come back to like really being being present um but you know i know that i'm doing all the things that i i'm exploring in all the different ways that are going to help me learn how to um to to maintain that access to like who i am and just yeah. like what i want to do and that freedom that that you know since since i was a kid i did i i felt like i had to like protect and i had to like creative a, a protective boundary um so it was really hard um but i have a great family um my parents are still together and i have one older brother so my my nuclear family is unconditionally supportive and loving they always have they always have been um and they were always very okay with you just being your authentic self at home um, I think I think that even I would even hide it from them as well. Um, but it was not necessarily because they've said something. Yeah, it was not, more what you saw the world looked at it. Like yeah, that. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, I know that when I came out to my family, um, you know, they uh, were supportive um, from from the get go. Mm. Oh, they were just so concerned that that I was so upset. You know, they just wanted me to be happy. So. I think I come from a very supportive household. My mom let me play with Barbie dolls. It was never it was never a question of me. If the kid wanted it, she's going to buy it. So that, that was never, she was very, maybe like 20, 30 years in advance compared to like parents doing that now. Mm -hmm. um, but even with all that, because the world is constantly telling us we are wrong and we pick up on that energy. So we feel unsafe we we try to protect ourselves so even with having the most supportive family in the world you're still gonna grow up with trauma with like being gay or like you with a different cultural background um so it it it, it takes a long time to uncode and deconstruct that trauma even a lot of people think that you have to have gone through homophobic abuse and all that to have all that trauma. And it's like, no, 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 no. If you're a kid that's constantly measuring your surroundings all through your childhood, that's going to leave a scar later on. So some people might go through it and don't think about it and be completely fine. But a lot of, and this is why we see for example, mental health issues much more prevalent in the LGBTQ plus community because we are constantly on guard in a way, even way into adulthood. I'm on guard. Uh, if I walk into the street, I'm lucky enough that I can 
assimilate or mask so I don't come off extremely flamboyant or gay. But not everyone has that luxury. Um, but there is definitely situations where I'm in public where I do feel a bit uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't quite know how these people are going to react to me. Am I safe here? Um, and I think a lot of people, especially maybe from the straight counterparts, is they kind of think, oh, you come out one time and that's it. We come out every day. Uh, we have to pick and choose who's safe to talk to. Who's it safe to tell I'm gay? Who's safe to tell I'm a recovering addict? Who's safe to tell I'm into leather without judgment? And that can be quite hard and it's draining. Yeah, definitely. Um... So when did you start um, exploring your kinky side? Hmm. Um, oh, that's interesting. Um, I have a friend who's like, well, gay sex is kinky in, in, in and of itself. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> a nice cuddle is fine, but I wouldn't call that kinky. <laughs> uh, when did I start? Well, I, I you know, I'm going to have to say that starting working at the Eagle hmm. uh, when I was 21 years old introduced me to um, different, you know, kinky things that were available. Um, I know that I was already like sort of drawn to porn that had the that had, that had leather and sort of the, you know, the role playing um, in it. But work, starting to work at the Eagle, it put me into contact with more of those things. Um, and um, and I felt at home, you know, it's like uh, I thought it was cool and um, interesting and not things that I ever some things I didn't have. The inclination to uh to you know go and do myself but um but i liked that that it was exciting and um not basic like not not vanilla not regular regular, regular sex stuff. like it's expansive i'm a sagittarius so um sagittarius is ruled by jupiter i don't know if you speak the language of astrology not besides i'm a libra Oh, okay. And it that's I always kind of I have my star sign tattooed on me, so oh. it, it, I'm not into it. But it, it Libra is always for some reason my star sign has always been very important to me. Yeah, maybe someday that maybe someday you'll use some of your creativity to look into that deeper. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing I think about sobriety is that we have so much time and energy to devote to endless interests, and and it sometimes it takes time. Uh, for that interest to kind of become it um, for you to be curious about it but um, anyway so yeah I like an expansive sort of uh, environment and kink is absolutely that it's like anything uh, creative creative and imaginative um, that you can come up with kink is the kink is the space to do it to try it and and I'm assuming lever is the main like clothing fetish or is there other stuff as well? Well, really interest you. if anybody wants to give me a whole bunch of money, then um, I will gladly, um, you know, develop a bigger rubber um, repertoire. Um, I like I like fashion in general. Um, I always have, and actually, like my first pair of leather pants was in high school because I went to my prom in a pair of leather pants, um, and. Um, 
anyway, I had a couple. Oh, that, of that's that's so cool. I um, my first leather pair of leather pants was probably when I was 15, 16, when I was at boarding school. Yeah. So I was the only one in leather pants. They were way too big for me. We're similar. Yeah. There you go. I got them at the like local mall, and they were kind of a baggy sort of style, not what I wear shoes. But I had some from the Gap as well, that were tighter and you know made me feel like Ricky Martin, shaking my bonbon. Bon. Uh, for anyone watching that's born after the 2000s, Sorry. <laughs> Ricky Martin is a very, very, very hot. He's still really, really hot. Shake your bomb on, yeah. shake your bomb on, shake oh, your bomb on. I, ha I have his first English album. It's, oh, I love of that. Of course, album. You, still, you still have it. Right? Yeah, I yeah. think I still have it. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. I still have it. Yeah. Absolutely great album. Um, Let's bring it back to the, was it 2000? 99 2000 yeah. yeah with his first english album well he was he got popular in denmark with some of his the spanish stuff as well but yeah. it was mainly the english stuff that brought him through to us yeah 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 thanks ricky yeah very very good yeah um so what what is your favorite piece of gear my favorite piece of besides gear. this of course Oh yeah, well this <laughs> this is special um shout out to Ben Orson Leather in Los Angeles um because the I had them custom make me the sash. The one that they made for the winner um could have fit anybody and it was too big for me. So we we had this one custom made. Um bit more convenient travel size as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's so much lighter, you know. Packing for leather convention trips, it's uh you have to be very careful and very choosy for what you pack because I only get like 50 pounds and then the rest is on my back. Yeah. So, um, or you're wearing it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And a 12 hour whole flight in no Wesco boots. I can't, stuff. I mean, I, I, I respect all the guys that can do that, but I need to be comfortable and I'm too, I get too hot easily. Anyway. Um, gosh, my favorite, I love this hat. I mean, there's, there's so many pieces that I'm really attached to and I've got, great stories but um this particular hat um was left at the bar okay. um in the back somehow at maybe one of the dancers i don't know maybe somebody in the community in la <laughs> maybe they see this and they're like hey give me my hat back it's been many many many, many years. years but um i'm the only one it was left back there for months and i was the only one whose head it would fit on because i have a small head mm. and i have a really hard time finding hats that i like um, but I love this one. It's really worn. Uh, it's got um, the sort of the, the silver sort of band on there. I think that the new ones that I see in most of the stores now, they, they look different. Um, they, they don't usually have the silver. Although I see I've, over here, I feel like I've seen more, more of that one. I don't, who's, who's making that one? This one is um, Spexter in Munich. Okay. Uh, yeah. This is the deluxe version. It doesn't originally come with these two bands, but you buy the deluxe version, it yeah. comes with it, and you can buy the Eagle as well. And it also comes in the silver. Yeah. So, yeah. That's the, probably the place I will go to buy mine, because yeah. like you, I'm quite fussy how it sits on my head. Um, so if it doesn't sit right, I'm not going to wear it. Yeah. Um, I, not different to you, I have a huge head, so it kind of needs to work with me. <laughs> um yeah well the, yeah this hat is pretty is, is really special i also love that like you know i've been in dark rooms like at dark lands recently or lat in april uh feels like last year but it's <laughs> only it was only in april yeah 
And I just love how like, okay, it's, it's in the way. So I can like set it down on the floor and like doing my business. And, uh, but also in the corner of my eye, I'm like, is my hat okay? <laughs> See, that's how I lost my first hat. Well, you know, it had, you know, you, a small price to pay to, for to the party gods. No, I was I was devastated by quite a lot. This was the hat I competed in at IML. Also, uh, it was a gift yeah. from one of the guys in Copenhagen. Yeah. Plus, the eagle on the front was given by one of the managers at the Lever Archives in Chicago. Uh, so I was very sad. But this well, this is from my using days. I was more interested in that cock over there, so I put it down, and then I walked off because I forgot. Well. Hopefully, just like this hat used to belong to somebody, and now someone's it's enjoying it somewhere. Hopefully, I mean that is that's the one of the most special ways we talk about acquiring leather is by having it passed down. Well, <laughs> it was unwillingly, unwillingly not, passed without down consent. without consent. Um, no, it, it, gear with history is is fun. It's like these boots. Um, I did pay a little bit for them, but they are my former bosses boots because he upgraded very nice very nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't do that when you do an instagram live um but yeah it's 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 history of lever of, of course i think in europe we're not so yes i think gifting is becoming a little bit more of a thing but it's we have much more like oh we just gotta buy Oh, you know, you know, I don't think I, I see a whole lot of gifting necessarily. Um, where I see it is, you know, the older generation, you mm. know, they're like, you know, real, like I'm getting, I've got handed some stuff from somebody, their stuff from the 80s recently. Um, that's where I see it, where they're like really, or maybe sometimes people pass. Yeah. And that's another way I see it like passed down. But um I don't see a lot of gifting necessarily. Yeah. No, it's it's, but it is a nice tradition when it does happen. Yeah. But yeah, we definitely had. Um, I've gotten some great pieces in the past from other people, which is is quite nice. Yeah. It's also nice to buy from new. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't have bought my brand new Lenglets if it wasn't for that. Um, yeah. but yeah. So you mentioned astrology and your star sign, and I know you read Taurus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. can you tell me a little bit about that how did that come about um so when i got that book the artist's way um one of the things that it tells you to do is to take yourself on an artist date every week and what else does it say to do to write morning pages which is like journal writing stream of consciousness journal writing um i think on one of my no it also says to treat your art like your inner artist child to things that it's interested in. Yeah. And so um, one day I grabbed like a little mini version of the Rider Waite Smith tarot, which is like the most popular tarot deck that most people are familiar with. It's, when you think tarot cards, it's the deck that that comes into most people's. Yeah, mind. the one we see in TV programs when yeah, they're which, reading, and which then is the death great. card comes up constantly. Yeah, yeah which is a great deck, and um, it's what I started with, but. I bought this little mini deck because I thought, mm, I like, this isn't something I really should be investing in. I bought that mini deck, but I bought like 12 or 15 books to, to learn interpretations. And then in a cleaning spree one time, I got rid of all of the books and I, but I kept the tarot card deck, even though I wasn't 
Like I did it for a while and mm. then I put it down. Like, yeah. But then when the pandemic hit and I happened to be alone a lot at that time, um, the tarot cards were sort of calling calling me and they were a, a wonderful me. <laughs> yeah, they were a wonderful friend when I was like alone, mm. you know, in quarantine and I didn't have as much access to um to people and uh um so it came back around, you know. Um I also I guess I even put the magician on my leg. I have a big tattoo of the magician on my leg. So like you know, I put it down for 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 years, but you know, there's this part of me that was always very um attracted to it. Um and then so when the pandemic happened, um I have really like gone deeper and deeper and deeper um into the tarot and magic and astrology and i think it's because i feel it's really important to have a sort of a spiritual practice mm -hmm. and um when i learned that i could allow myself to invest in these sort of like woo woo spirituality things i think before I... woo woo that that is the official term <laughs> yeah, everybody, under everybody understands woo-woo, even though it's yeah, kind yeah. of like sort of mocking the things. But anyway, it, it works for the moment. Um, when I realized that I could allow myself to um, to like those things, um, that was really, it was really powerful, you know, to, to also learn through like doing a meditation one day, I learned that I had this sort of epiphany that Part of the reason why I've wanted to like hurt myself in the past is because I want to like beat out anything that is sort of unacceptable to society. So including like believing in magic or mm. using these cards and liking like symbolism and all those things are too playful and imaginative. And so society that i live in i think tells me that's not okay so instead of it, it it worked so well the system worked so well that i literally try to hurt myself and yeah. beat it out of myself it's like i am policing myself and when i when i realized i had that sort of epiphany that actually diving into those things even more so is the is sort of the way that i can fight fight back if that makes sense um to sort of unlearn that um that sort of really toxic behavior and the other thing that i haven't like explicitly said but and this is this is something that still happens to me in sobriety um i get the urge to punch myself in the face and i do i punch myself the, the only time i ever ever like fought myself like the first time i did it i was i was drunk and i was arguing with my boyfriend and i guess i was losing the argument because i threw myself to the floor and started hitting like lunging at myself okay and I, the next day i went to work and i had bruises on my face and there and i'm just i'm a very honest person it's a sagittarius trait and uh my boss asked me what happened and i'm like well i i punched i hit myself like in, in anyway i i fought myself um and then um so this has been something that i have struggled with um through my sobriety 
And so when I, when I get this impulse, when my brain thinks about, you know, I want to hit myself, yeah. I know something is super, super off. And that's when I, I know that I have to be utilizing my support system, yeah. my therapist, my sober community. Um, but, you know, so having that epiphany and meditation about the punching myself being related to like trying to beat out the sensitivity, the vulnerability, the the playfulness, the the inner child self or whatever. I know how like you know, I don't know, cliche that must sound. Um No, but... not at all. It it what what you're kinda of describing is allowing yourself to be a child. Allowing yourself to like things people might go, Why do you like that? That doesn't make sense. Stuff like that. Um so it makes perfect sense to me because I allow myself to I'm I'm a massive movie buff. I love childish movies. Yes, uh, they people can see. Um, so and I I love Lego. And it's like I'm almost forty years old and I play with Lego. And a lot of people will wrink their nose at that. Yes, but I don't care. Right. It's like I'm allowing myself to buy things I didn't necessarily be able to afford as a child. Yeah. There was a lot of love in my house, but we didn't have a lot of money. Yes. So I'm allowing, yes, material stuff now, but for me, it makes me happy. So if you reading tarot cards makes you happy and makes you, well, tarot cards can work as meditation as well, I'm assuming. Yeah, I see it all as like... Um... I've never actually had a tarot card reading done before, oh, so I don't well. actually know how it works. Well, if you're interested, I would love to read tarot for oh, you. Oh, it's like death card. Death card. <laughs> yeah, but the death card is... It doesn't mean death. I know this. I, I actually... It, it, mean, it can also mean change. Yeah, um, I actually got the death card the morning of my interview for IML. Oh, wow. <laughs> and because I put that information on my, um, my bio for them, they asked me that day what my tarot reading was that morning. And I was like, oh, it was really, really good. And I only just scratched the surface of that that experience of my yeah. tarot reading that morning. But um, but it to sum it up, basically, it was like I gotten the death card. And the death card to me is um, always sort of about regeneration. Yeah. Um, so um, but that's dies. not what horror films tell us. <laughs> that is like you're dead if you walk out the door now. Yeah, that's so, where the misunderstanding is. Yeah. So I told them that the that this experience IML is like a rebirth for me, mm. and um, and I'm a Gemini rising, I'm a Sagittarius sun. IML happens in May at the end of May, and mm. um, so IML every year is always a Gemini. I was already a Gemini rising. Anyway, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. So th that's a good segue <laughs> into how did the title stuff start? Because this is not the only title you have. Yeah, I got another title, which is on my waist here, um, which you can't really read, but I just want to give you a turn anyway. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but yeah, my other title um, is Eagle LA Mr. Leather 2023. Yeah, I left you to say that because it is a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, it is. Um, but um, I had my contest in January, and um, I've been working at the bar for, 20, for 18 years. And I always told my boss, Charlie, that I would do the contest when it was meaningful to me. Mm. Because, you know, I've, I've worked the bar many times when we have various leather contests. And 
you know, I see everybody that goes up there, they're, they're like actually involved in the, the community and they really participate. They go to all the events and um, I was pursuing makeup and like, I love wearing gear while I'm working. I love wearing gear in general, but I wasn't going to all the leather events. You know, I always felt that I was sort of adjacent. Yeah. Um, but, but also like, working there is more was more to me than than just like a place to work you know it's it's a part of your family it's it's yeah that's where your chosen family is yeah but um the way everything had evolved i stopped pursuing makeup around the time of the pandemic um it was hard for me to move away from that because mm. i was really i thought that was my that was my career goal and I just wasn't that good at it. <laughs> I mean, I was okay. I was okay. And people will argue with me like, no, you're amazing, whatever. And you can look at in my Instagram at Marcus Monster. It's all there in the past. Um, but it takes a lot. Like you have to be really, really, really good at it to like, and really dedicated to, to make a really good living at it. And I just didn't have it in me. And um uh, the pandemic was a great way to like shift gears and um, to, to really take some time to think about like um, moving away from that, like whether I was happy or not. So it took me a, a couple of years to really make that decision. But the bar was closed for a year and a half during the pandemic. And there was times where we weren't sure if the bar was going to reopen, or at least I wasn't sure. Um, and when the bar reopened, um, that's when I decided to quit my other job, my makeup job. I worked at Sephora for five years. Uh, I also, I was working both jobs, the Eagle and Sephora. Totally different worlds. I, I was about to say, that's like, oh, I'm going from Sephora over to the Eagle. It was like, let me just take the makeup off and then put a leather waistcoat on. Yeah, yeah. I, I really liked, I also really liked that though. Oh, I, like, I love the contrast. It's, it, it why not? It, yeah. It's, it's, it's. I, I, most leather men, when you walk into a bar and it's like a full like kit outfit and you kind of listen into conversations, it's not, they're not talking about whipping boys or um, uh, what slave they've been over, done BDSM on and stuff like that. No, they're yeah. talking about the latest recipe they made from this cookbook yeah. or it's, it's, it's a lot of people might disagree with me, but leather is drag as well. <laughs> Can, I know that can get real controversial. It can, idea. it can, but I do. It is a bit of flag. No, it's a I, bit of fun. No, I, I, I agree. I agree with you. Um, to yeah, it's all. Um, what does RuPaul say? Um, You're born, born naked, naked, and then yeah. the rest is drag. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So where was the question that I've already? Well, you uh, working at the Eagle. You stopped working at Sephora, oh, and then right. the titles came up. Oh yeah. So, um, when the bar reopened, um, I happened to, some of the guys didn't come back and I happened to be the one that I was the one that was there the longest. Now I've been the bartender that had been working there the longest. I had the most seniority and, um, and I was able to just work three days a week instead of like six days a week. I was working when I was working the two jobs and, um, I, since I had more time, I realized it was like, and I had gotten out of a, a relationship sort of recently. Um, I was realizing that, you know, it was time for me to kind of invest in learning more about my leather, uh, my leather, leather life. 
And so I went to my first uh, conference, um, which was <clears throat> the first CLAW that we had in Los Angeles. Yeah. Stands for Cleveland Leather Awareness Week. Awareness <clears throat> Week. Yeah, yeah, that's what it stands it's, for. That, that, make, that tickles me a little bit. It's like, it's Awareness Week. It's like, it sounds like like some charity. It's like, it's, it's Asperger's Awareness Week or something like that. It's Leather Awareness Week. Well, I wonder, I, they maybe came up with that title because um, I think it might have been one of the first conferences or the first conference that had a bunch of workshops. Yeah. So it was very informative and um, a way for people to learn uh, a lot of uh, a lot about like diff getting different skill sets. So it's, um, it's very different to, for example, IML, where it's much more buying and contest, where uh, CLAW is more workshops. Yeah, like exactly. learning how to do bondage, vlogging, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had their first one in Los Angeles in, I guess it was 2021. And after that conference, and I'm a big believer in going to conferences. I'm a big believer in immersing oneself in an environment. And I think uh, an environment of like like-minded individuals, I think it can be really healing and supportive and you, you meet people and learn different things that you wouldn't have otherwise. And I left the, that conference and I was like, you know what? I'm ready to do the contest now. And my boss was like, well, great. We're not doing one this year. <laughs> you're so not, you, you're not allowed. So you have a whole year and a half or something to prepare. And so then I started going to, um, to events. I went to Eastern Berlin. I went to IML um, to, to scope it out, you know, to go to the contest and yeah. watch it happen. Um, where else did I go? I went to, I went to Darklands. Um, yeah, I went to a, a bunch of different conferences. Yeah, it was amazing. And so how, what, what does the Eagle contest entail? The Eagle contest, you know, I just came from Hamburg and congratulations to Uli. I don't remember his last name, but Uli is our the new Mr. Uh, Hamburg Leather. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations, Uli. And um, there, the contest there was really quick, actually. It was like there was three questions drawn out of a box for each contestant and an introduction. They, they, give, they introduce themselves and then the audience chooses by putting their yeah. their token in a booth well our contest the eagle contest and i think pretty much all the contests i see in the states um are generally only there there's only the jury decides who wins mm -hmm. and um and it's the same format as iml so there's a speech there's a jock strap there's barware there's um a pop question and, and then there was like another like silly question that was less of a pop question because they gave us which, time, time to prepare. They gave us the day to prepare answers to like seven different questions. Okay. Um, but it's a mini IML, a total mini IML. And okay. it, there's like different sections and it takes uh, all night long pretty much. So um, it's, yeah. I guess it's good preparation for IML. Well, well, I kind of when when I look at the American titles and stuff like that, it it is a little bit like you. There's different types of people who go for titles, like career titles, and then there's people who do it for the fun and someone who wants to do it for community. Mm -hmm. um, that is what I'm seeing from the outside mm -hmm. um, when I look at titles over there. So, 
yeah, you, you definitely, for example, when I did Mr. Europe, that was jockstrap round, funny question round, and then you have a four-minute sexy show mm, with fun. music. Fun. Yeah, I'll show you later what, what I did with my, I have it on video. Um, it's not allowed on YouTube anymore. <laughs> but that's music copyrights, actually not what's in the video. Oh. Um, but yeah, and, and they're very strict. It has to be four minutes. Uh -huh. Mine was four minutes and 10 seconds, and oh. they wanted to cut 10 seconds of my show. Yeah. So it's like, well, you have to cut it at the start because the ending is important. Yeah. <laughs> so I was having a bit of a diva drop when it comes to that. So we, we, we've similar. I think we've become similar. But Mr. Europe, you have a four-minute show. Uh -huh. So that can be whatever you want it to be. Hmm. I once saw one year a guy mime to music while singing into a dildo. Oh. That was... Different. How, how did it play out to the audience? Did they like it? Uh, yeah, I thought it was fun. Okay. It was camp as hell, but it was great. Um, so you go on and win Mr. Eagle, and then you go on to IML. Yeah. How did you find that experience? Because I, I know for me, it's intense. Yeah. And it's fast, and it's whirlwind, and it's hurry up and wait. Um, well, I like being on time. It's one of the things that um, I learned Same. in sobriety. Um, I was taught by my mentors uh, that, you know, being punctual is really important. And so it's something that I try to maintain. Um, so that part worked for me. I'm like, I'm sober. I can do this. Like, I can be on time and um, I can show up ready to go. And um, that part was, was great. The going to different uh, conferences beforehand really, I think, was the one of the biggest parts of preparation mm. um, because I met lots of people and I made connections and I made I made friends. I made community. I I went to so many things that I developed that perspective that I think many of us have is that all of these conferences is just like going to a family reunion at, yeah. at a different part in the world. It's like. I just get to spend it, spend time with all the people that that I've met throughout throughout the years, and um, that's so, super special. Um, what else? Oh, I had a mentor, and an amazing mentor. He won IML in two thousand seven, and so he helped me prepare. He helped me prepare for the Eagle contest, and he helped me prepare for IML. His name is Mike Gurley. Um, he's amazing. He's the best. Uh, the best mentor I could have ever had and um you know I loved it I loved preparing I loved I loved the soul searching I had to do to figure out what I'm I could say on that stage that would be of relevance to such a large audience mm. um, because the eagle contest was a smaller a smaller audience of the people the com my community in Los Angeles yeah but you know when it's the international community um it's like, what do I have to say that applies to, to what message do I have to give that applies to everybody? So it was amazing. I loved it. Oh, I was very focused. I, do you know what? When, when they announced, because I was, I kept checking it the day after because we're time delay here. So I was like, who won, who won, who won, who won? And I'd written with you like two, three days before you went, kind of like, good luck. You're going to be amazing. Just be yourself. Da, 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 da. I, I always kind of like when people are going to contests or, or at least IMLs, like don't expect to win because eh, because there's a lot of contestants. Um, but I was so pleased when I saw you win. 
I was just like, yes. That was so amazing. I was I was so pleased for you. I was I was a little bit emotional that day. I oh. thought it was really you deserved it so much because my interactions with you just even if we hadn't spoken, like when writing with you, it just you were generally genuine person. So I yeah, what I know of you, you definitely deserved it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really sweet. Yeah, it's it's it's. I was I was so pleased. I was also like shocked it's like oh shit i yeah i've been like wishing you luck and then you actually go and win the whole bloody thing i was just like yes yeah well it's what's interesting is um i found your profile because i was doing research like i'm a nerd and uh you know when i get onto something i get really nerdy and i do like a deep dive about it as much as as much as i possibly can i only have so much time and energy so um i haven't even begun to learn everything that i want to learn about our community um but that's okay because you know there's time um but i found your profile in in within that search and of course i'm sober so i was like uh you know eating up your interviews um so it I'm, was I'm, so you helped me prepare as well oh fantastic yeah. i'm glad well I've, I've had some sober amazing sober fetish men on as well or people just with knowledge who are not necessarily sober, but just have a lot of knowledge around um, mental health stuff. And it's, it's, yeah, I keep getting amazed with some of the people I have on. And, and it's been really lovely to have you on and just talk about your story, really. Um, and, and, and see, this is the thing. It's like, yes, it's a podcast about sober stuff as well, but it, it's not. It's never really the main focus. It's about learning about the person behind the sobriety. And I feel like I've gotten to know you a little bit more this yeah. this hour. It's it's a little snippet people get in these hours we we talk to each other, but um, like about tarot cards, all this it it's it's it just shows there's much more layers than just a title and sobriety. There's so much more to a person. So yeah. I'm so pleased you would come on and travel all the way to London for just for me, not because you already had other stuff doing as well. You know, you, no, you were a, a, a huge, like, a main event of this, you know, like, because I'd been watching your interviews already, I knew I wanted to do an interview with you. But then I was like, coming to, to Europe is very costly, mm -hmm. and it takes a while. So like, if I'm gonna be here, I want to stay at least a week. And so I was like, when I got the idea to like, come from Hamburg over here to, to see you and do this in person. Yeah. I've been super excited about it, you know, and I thought that was like, that's just incredible, you know. I was I was incredibly honored that when you suggested it, I was just like, yeah, why not? What if if you can make it work? Absolutely, come over and we'll I'll do my little setup here, which is by the way the first time I've done it this way around, so it is also a little bit of a he's he's being guinea pig today. Oink. <laughs> do guinea pigs oink? They do now. I'll show you a video of what guinea pigs sound like, and that was not the noise, but yes. Uh, but we, we've actually come out, we're running out of time now. We've actually run a little bit over time, but that's the joy of pre-recording. We can run over time a little bit, especially if the conversation's really going well. So thank you very much for coming on. Yeah. If anyone's listened to us or watched us um, and they've enjoyed some of the stuff you've said or something has struggle nerve or they're more curious about it where can they get a hold of you 
Uh, my Instagram is at Marcus Monster. It's M-A-R-C-U-S Monster. Um, and my Twitter is also at Marcus Monster. So, um, but you want to if you want to chat. Instagram is great. Instagram yeah. is great. Yeah, and of course, as always with these episodes, if anything has triggered you, take contact a friend. Um, drop me a DM. You're more than welcome to contact me online. I'm happy to help um, guide you to right channels if you need support. Um, we know some some of these subjects can be quite tough. Um, this was a slightly more lighthearted episode, so hopefully not too triggering for everyone. Um, but it's been absolute joy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. And this was the first episode of season six. And hopefully I should be back next week with the next episode. But have a great weekend and stay safe, stay sober and stay kinky. Bye.